when you think about the capacity of God as much as we can, and the pictures that we saw of creation and the detail of all of that. And then you transfer that over to God's capacity with us. It, it seems, if we can say it out loud, impossible. For someone to, to know us intimately, we can begin to gather that because there are people who are close to us that know things about us more than anybody else does. So we understand the fact that, you know, there's a possibility, there's this ability that God has to know us intimately. But what gets really beyond our human limitation to understand is that God knows us intimately, but there are seven billion of us. That's where it begins to become mind-blowing that that there can be a being that knows us that intimately. And yet, in Isaiah chapter 40... God begins to, to blow our minds even beyond that. Because there's a lot more stars than there are people. Don't know if you know that. And so to think that God created all the, the stars of the universe, not just the ones that we as little human beings know of, but the ones that we can't even see, and the ones that we know are there that we can't see, and the ones that we don't know are not there, so we're not going to see them. And that not even in our galaxy, but galaxies beyond that we don't even know exist yet. And the Hubble, you know, is floating around, and it takes a shot, like, whoa, there's something new we're discovering. God's like, man, you're, you guys are on a scale from one to 100. You're at a three right now. <laughs> there's so much that God, and so just the capacity for him to create such vastness is one thing. But Isaiah 40 tells that not only is the, the universe vast with stars that, that no one can count, but are you ready? God has named every single star. And he memorized them. Our God is so much more vast. So it's important for us to take the tangible things that we do know and we begin to apply them then. And it helps us to have our faith and our mind expand it. Because if God can do that. And understand and know and name and memorize all the stars. And I'm thinking of that. I'm like, dude, I was I was pretty mesmerized by the duck on the, on the picture. <laughs> or the dragonfly. Like, wow. And if you really, if you buy into it. And you embrace the fact that God is that big. Then when we're told that God knows our rising and our falling and our thoughts before we even say them, then it doesn't become such a stretch if, in fact, you believe that God is that big and able. See, we read today, as we were just singing, by the way, from Psalm 139, in the 16th verse of that psalm, David is praying very intimately. And what he begins to pray is the core of what we're going to talk about today. There is a place of reserve that God has uniquely for each of us. In the vastness of the universe, what God is proving is that even though it's colossal, God is microscopic in his detail and his attention. And so when David prays, he begins to pray something that is so unique to him. 
And it flows into you and to you and to you and to me that that each of us have this unique reserve. That God distinctly has this this relationship with us. Watch. Psalm 139 verse 16. David said, God, your eyes saw my unformed body when I was still in the mother's womb. Unformed body. In your hard drive, God, in your book, were written, and David emphasizes every one of them before he completes the sentence. He interjects this detail. In your book, God, were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, uniquely reserved for me, watch, when as yet there was none of them. What David is saying is that when each of us were in our mother's womb before we had taken our first breath, that every single day, today I'm 57 years old, every single day for 57 years old, God, before I was born, had reserved some things for me, specifically, and for you, and for you, that unique to our design. He said, can God actually do that? He begins to allow us to believe that because of what we're talking about, the detail of creation, the vastness of the universe, etc. I'll give you another one. You have something that I can't have. I have something that you can't have. No one can take it from you. You've had it since you were born, by the way, and you'll have it until you die. I can't snatch it from you. I can't buy it from you. You can't give it to me. No one can break in and rob it from your house. You can't will it to anybody. You can't leave it in your inheritance. You can't. It is yours. It is yours to keep. It's your DNA. You can't share it. Look how God says you're unique and then affirms that through physical things, through science. Same thing with your fingerprint. God is showing that he has the capacity to get to this level. We're reminded in Luke chapter 12, verse 7, you know this verse, that the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Can God do that? Well, let's put it on a human level. In the United States, there's roughly 325 million of us. You know, when, once we're talking about billions and billions, all of a sudden 325 million doesn't seem like that much, but it's still a large number. Who could track us and how could we be uniquely tracked? Well, it's called a social security number. Everybody has one. Mine is 18427-1639. Now, you're not fool enough to think I really actually just gave you my real number, right? Let's make that up. That was my mom's number. <clears throat> well, in fact, my mom, this uh, in the last three weeks, it's, it has been a cable network nightmare because... She, it has been out, that means her phone's out, that means her internet's out, everything's out. So, you know, mom's living in an island, you know, we're, we're going over to check up on her, making sure, because we can't communicate to her. And the whole reason is that she couldn't communicate with the, the local cable service because they had typed her social security, her reserved unique number in incorrectly in the last four di- digits were 9999. Somebody was getting ready to take a coffee break. Ah, what the heck? Let's just put some numbers in. Because see, without your unique reserved number, as you well know, if you've ever tried to do something and the number was wrong, you're not going anywhere. 
See, what God is saying to us is that even human beings can track uniqueness, and I'm God. Now, when we begin to look at at God and the uniqueness that he has, here's the core of where we're going to land today. When it comes to the rescue story of God, and the entire Bible primarily is a story of rescue. You see, human beings were created, Adam and Eve were created, in a mode of perfection. And yet, as we know, Adam and Eve blew it. And mysteriously, that went viral to the entire human race. David said, as as soon as the moment I was born, I was born in, in sin. So, because of that brokenness and because of God's absolute love that drives him to pursue us, he came up with a rescue plan. And that rescue plan is, it's like a tsunami that starts in Genesis chapter 3 and it just rolls throughout the entire history of the Bible. And that rescue plan is not just this generic big box approach rescue plan. It it covers and invites all of the human race to participate. It gives an open invitation and it it allows our free choice to engage or not. But it is unique that it does not apply to all of us. We must individually reserve a place. There is a reserved place of protection in God's rescue plan. Now, what I'm going to say to you today is obvious. But I'm going to deem it, in my opinion, and having spent many years in the Word of God, as the most sobering conversation that two human beings can have. Not one of the, but the most sobering conversations and the most important conversations that two human beings can have. We're going to have that today. I'm going to lay this this out for you. Because there is a reserved place of protection that no one can take from you. That can be uniquely yours and uniquely mine. And and God will save that place for you. This per, this place this place of protection it's so obvious for some of the, of us that read the Bible and know the Bible. And some of you that don't you probably still know this truth, but it, because, in my opinion, it is the most sobering conversation to be had, I'm not going to assume that we don't need to repeat it again. My son's birthday was actually uh, just a week apart from, from mine last week. And at the top of his birthday list was an ice cream machine. Now, for those of us that you know, grew up in the day, uh, you remember the old ice cream machines, you know, you put all the s- s- rock salt and stuff in and then you just grind it until you don't want ice cream anymore. <laughs> I started to feel like, my, I sound like my grandfather. <laughs> but nowadays, these young kids, they, they plug them in, right? You plug it in and uh, there's a unit, looks like a crock pot with a plug kind of deal. And then you put this twirly thing in there and it, it sits in there and it twirls on its own. That's just totally unfair. They don't, kids don't appreciate good ice cream these days. You know, we used to grind it. So you put it in and then you wait 20 minutes. You can go watch TV, come back and you got ice cream. But this unit, like a crock pot, that's got an electrical wire in it. And the first page of the manual says, make sure you don't submerge this in water, especially when it's plugged in. Oh, glad you said that because I didn't know. 
because uh, I was thinking about making some ice cream while I take a, a soak in a tub bath. Who does that, right? But because it's so sobering and dangerous, they want to make sure that you get it on page one of the manual. Do not submerge this part with an electrical cord in it. And guess what's on page two? There it is again. Make sure you don't. I'm like, really? Make sure you don't submerge this part. You know what I found on page three? Same warning. Same warning. And on page four, and there's only four pages in the manual. There it is again. Don't submerge it. Like, I got it. Don't submerge it. But see, I think God works this way. Don't miss this. This is such a dangerously sobering conversation. Don't miss this one. Therefore, it's worth repeating. And from where I stand as a human being, some people get offended by this message. Trust me. It is worth offending because it's truthful. This is where I've prayed for today. That God will allow our sensitivities and our stubbornness and our, and all those things to be set aside to at least say, God, let me be open to your truth. Now we return to the story we've been on for about a month now. It's the Passover story because it's one of the greatest rescue stories in the Bible. And it gives to us this, the great pictures of, of the rescue story of Christ. You see, the rescue story of Christ is that he was the star of the plot. And he was also the martyr of the plot. That God was willing not to just to set a plan in place, but come the key ingredient to the whole plan and offer his life. Now, in the Passover story, for those of you that are just just catching up with us, God's people were in the nation of Israel. They were in, they were enslaved in Egypt. They were oppressed. And God wanted them now to move out. They had been there hundreds of years. And God was trying to get the attention of this leader of Egypt. But as human beings are, we sometimes get stubborn. We sometimes know it all. All those things that keep us from God. And he just kind of dug his hills in. So God said, I'm going to have to, then I'm going to have to amp things up. And so he, God began to send curses in the land of Egypt. Now in the land of Egypt, the section where the Israelites lived was called Goshen. And so what's fascinating about this is that God reserved a place of protection for them. It's part of the rescue story. These curses were just some of them were awful. Well, actually, all of them were awful. Some of them were kind of gross. Like there's a, there, at one point, God said, I'm going to send flies all over the country. Now, I don't know about your household, but I'm a guy. I can, I can deal with flies, to be honest with you. Hey, there's a fly in the garage. Okay, whatever. My wife, on the other hand, has a, has a problem with flies, like just one fly. We have broken stuff in order to kill a fly. There's been screaming, there's been chasing, there's been leaping over sofas to kill a fly. There's there's risk of life and limb to kill a fly. I cannot in my wildest dreams imagine a dozen flies in my house at the same time. That would just be, let's just burn the place down. That's where we'd go with that, right? Can you imagine you going home and there were a couple of hundred flies in your house? I'm moving. I'll be honest with you. How about 2,000 flies? What if you couldn't move? You couldn't even see your sofa because 
it was so thick with flies. This is one of the curses. God said, you know what? I mean business. Do I have your attention? That's what he was trying to do. However, it's not only fascinating that God could could take creation like that and and maneuver them and navigate them into the, these locations all of a sudden from probably all over the world. He brought flies, calling all flies, and they came, you know. But in the land of Goshen, right on the border, there were no flies. Why? It was reserved. It was a reserved place of protection. Watch. Exodus chapter 8, if you're following along in your Bible. If not, we'll have it up on the screen. Watch the language of what God, how God speaks. God speaking to the leader of Egypt through Moses. But on that day, I'm going to send the flies. I will deal differently. I will deal differently, uniquely, reservedly. I will deal differently with the land of Goshen. Where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there. So that you will know that I am in charge. Not you. No matter how smart you think you are. No matter how stubborn you are. No matter how powerful you are. No matter what you've read. I'm in charge. God's saying. I want you to know that. That I have power over creation. This was why it was so powerful with Christ. And so affirming with Christ. He said, I'm one, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and I have power over creation. No, no other religious leader has ever walked the earth has had that kind of power. He's proving who he was. So that you will know that I am the Lord and am in this land. Now watch, verse 23. I will make a distinction between my people and your people, and this sign will occur. And I bet for God, he was like, this sign will occur, by the way, tomorrow about 9.15 in the morning. Just want to let you know I'm in charge. So can you imagine that that... This whole area is buzzing with flies. Well, I don't know how they travel with flies. Is it hives? Hives of flies? No, I don't know. Schools of flies? Whatever. Who cares? We don't like flies. They're a bunch of flies, right? But right here, this inch right here with Goshen, no flies. Not even one. Happy wives over here in Goshen. Not even one fly in the house. Can you imagine looking out your window? Oh, it's a great day. It's kind of dark over there. Why? Because it's full of flies. Then God began to say, let me, okay, you didn't, I didn't get your attention. Let me attack the livestock. I got to send a curse out that. And there's a list here. And, and if you look in the context of this, you know, sheep and goats and cows and God said, I'm going to wipe them out. Watch Exodus chapter nine, verse four. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the, that of Egypt so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. Reserve space over here. Carcasses of animals all over the land, laying in fields, laying in the, in the streets, in the path, but not over here. Animals hopping around, hopping sheep, running sheep. I don't know if sheep hop, but they were happy. God make a distinction. Now watch this. Hail came. And when hail comes, it, it just clobbers crops. Watch. Exodus 9.25. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields. Both people and animals, it beat down everything growing in the field and stripped every tree. The only place it did not hail was in the land of Goshen where the Israelites were. Why? It was a reserve piece of protection. Now, if you're not amazed by that, this last one is a doozy. This one is a mind blower. 
You ever been in a dark room? I'm talking dark. I'm talking about no. I I have a, a little prayer closet. It's my wife's walk-in closet. So you can go in, you slide the door, and in in the middle of the night there is no light, and honestly you can't see your hand in front of your face. This is a kind of darkness that God sent over the entire land. But watch what happens. Exodus ten twenty two. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness. One of the curses. Total darkness. Total darkness. Covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days. Yet the all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Do you remember the detailed feathers of the duck? Of the, of the dragonfly, of all those things, then that same God of detail said, right here, it's bright, sunny days, and an inch away was complete darkness. Wow. Wow. The vast capacity of God. Now watch. Today we are going to talk about the start, a stark intersection, a stark place where one just side by side, people will be together and there is a place of protection of light and there is a destination of not darkness, total darkness for eternity. That's 10,000 years times 10 million times 10 billion times 10 trillion. Would you agree that this is the most important conversation that two human beings can have? You see, when we look at this story, I'm reminded that God has this ability to protect you. Remember, uh, when Joshua was called to conquer Jericho, that it's probably hard for us to comprehend the sturdiness, the, the, the robust construction of the walls of Jericho. It, it was known for that. That nobody was gonna break through. It's like watching like one of those shows like The Lord of the Rings and there's these castles that just seem that no one can penetrate. That's what, that Jer- was Jericho, right? And you remember that God through His power sent Joshua as He led the troops and they marched around it seven times and then they shouted and they played trumpets and then God crumbled their whole world around them. And, and I don't know if you know, but the world around us and maybe your personal world is crumbling right now. And God would say to you, there's a, there's a personal unique place of protection that I'm willing to give to you, that I want to give to you, that I love you so much. I want to, Protect your heart and protect your you crumbling with everything that may be around. But on a broader scope, don't know if you noticed, but this world is crumbling around us. 57 years on the planet, I'm telling you, the last 25 have moved a lot quicker than the first 25. What I watched on TV, now I'm really sounding like my grandfather, <laughs> but what I watched on TV is so vastly different than what I... Than, than what I see on TV these days. And it's moved very quick. Things that were seemed impossible, impossible 30, 40 years ago in the book of Revelation, now you think, well, well wait a minute. 
It speaks of two witnesses that all the world can see. How can all the world see? Well, you couldn't do that 30 years ago, but by golly, with iPhones and I this and that and the other, no problem in seeing and viewing things around the world. I see third world countries and people are walking around with cell phones. Things are very viewable nowadays. Certain things, certain numbers in the in, in the book of Revelation, certain now they seem to be like, wow, man, that is, is happening. And it seems like the world is crumbling and falling apart faster and faster and faster and faster. Oh, Christ, come today. That's our heart. My wife and I talk about it all the time. Oh, it just seems like it's, it's spiraling out. And in that day, Jericho was crumbling you remember the prequel to this story before the walls came a tumbling down. That like any good military, they sent some intel into Jericho. And there were a couple of spies making sure they understood the lay of the land. And they were getting ready to get busted. And there was a prostitute in town. Her name was Rahab. And Rahab said, let's make a negotiation. Because see, I've heard about the capacity of your God. And his reputation precedes you. So if you will create for me a reserved place of protection, I'll hide you. I'll work with you. And so it came to the, to the place where they were making this negotiation. Watch. Very important. Joshua chapter 2 verse 17. Now the men, the spies had said to Rahab, this oath you made us swear to, to agree, will not be binding on us. We get out of the agreement unless when we enter the land, you have tied, they told her to tie a scarlet cord, a red cord. <laughs> you tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down so we can recognize, the army can recognize that place right there with the cord hanging down. She saved us. She, she negotiated, she, we, we agreed on something. See that cord hanging down? It's a reserved place of protection. The entire world, the entire city of Jerusalem, uh, Jericho was going to come crumbling down except that one place of reservation. But here was the negotiation. Watch. This oath is off the table. Unless when we enter the land, you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside this reserved place of protection, your house into the, and they go outside the house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. No one sent them out there. Their blood will be on their own heads and we will not be responsible. Here we go. God has invited us in a reserved place of protection that he is willing to save us and rescue us if we are willing to step into that place of protection under the covering of his hand. If we are wanting to be stubborn and step out of that place of protection, then God would say, it is on you. People say, how can God send people to hell? He's not. He's open, offering an open place of protection. And the message that we can't miss, the message that's on page one of the manual and two of the manual and three on the manual, this is dangerous. This is dangerous. That you are responsible to step into the, the assigned 
place of protection that God provides. What is that place of protection? We'll talk about that place of protection and how to get in that place of protection. But first, the stark news that if we are not in the place of protection, if these, if Rahab's family was not in the place of protection, then God said, then it's on you and the blood is on your hands. That is just a temporary physical thing. In other words, you're going to be killed in this battle if you don't stay right here. What we're talking about is forever and ever. There's a consequence. We begin in uh, Revelation chapter 20, near the end of the Bible. Now, let me remind you about something here that we're just expanding our mind to uh, who God is in his capacity. It's not going to be on the screen, but I, I'm just going to read this to you from Isaiah 46, verse 10. I was reading this verse, and if you take notes, jot something in your phone, whatever, how you keep it down. Just l- listen to these words for a second. God is speaking of himself. I make known the end from the beginning. I'm going to tell you the end of the story at the very beginning. He goes on to say, I make known from ancient times what is still to come. Somebody picture gave this picture. I was listening this week, gave a picture, a great picture. Let's say we go to a parade, Macy's Day's parade, uh, Macy's, Day, Macy's Day parade in New York City. And we're standing on the corner of uh, 5th Avenue and 37th Street. And we, we see the parade. See, we only see part of the parade. We say, here comes the parade. But let's say you're at the top of a skyscraper and you see the entire parade. You're seeing the end and the beginning of the parade. You get it? This is God. So watch. Why do I go into that? Because when John writes the book of Revelation, he's seeing the end of the parade. This is not, the book of Revelation is not a prediction of what's going to come. It's not. It's a recording of what's already happened in the future, which is going to come. Does that mean we're in control? We're, we're out of control? No. You, you still have a choice because God's standing out there. He already knows. Don't try to figure it out. Here's the, here's why I say it. Listen. When John writes the words we're about to read, it's not like, hey, this might happen. This is going to happen. No, it act, this is reality and it's not going to change at all. This doesn't change no matter what liberal Christian leader writes a book. You know what I'm talking about, some of you. This doesn't change because somebody has a different point of view, comes up with a different theology. That doesn't change. Truth doesn't change. Watch. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. The most sobering intersection written in the Bible. John said, I saw. Past tense. Not I will be seeing. I hope to see. I saw. I saw the dead, great and small. Rich and poor and middle class. Hollywood stars and unknowns. Men, women, children. 
I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. God has a hard drive. And don't forget, he's the guy that remembers the names of all the stars. Nothing has escaped his hard drive. These books, by the way, those who are outside of this reserved place of protection will be judged by what's in these books. It's their works, if you read the context. It's what they've done or haven't done. But there is another book. It's a reservation book. It's a book that has the reservations for eternity. John says, I saw another book opened, which is the book of life. It is a book that that has names in it. Every name that is of the person who who has ever come to Christ and said, God, I want through Christ your place of protection for me, which we'll talk about here in a minute. I want that place. And God said, "Okay, your name goes in. Your name goes in. I don't know if you're like me, but if you've ever if you've ever given or, you know, set up reservations and uh and you walk in and there are a bunch of people waiting who didn't have reservations. Doesn't it feel good? I mean, let's just, let's be honest. You know, you know, you kind of like walk in, you will take you McCoy party for it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. We called ahead. You know how that feels? You know that feeling. We're just being honest, right? Everybody else is waiting, you know, like underdogs, subterranean people. They didn't call ahead like we didn't, you know, even if it's out back, still feels good. You know, it's kind of high class for us. This is not going to feel good. This one's not going to feel good. It's that sobering. I'll tell you why. Any anyone whose name anybody that didn't have reservations, there are no walk-ins in this restaurant. There's no walk-ins. Anyone whose name was not found. In this written in this book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Do I believe that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is it popular? Nope. Is it offensive to some? Probably. Here's a here's a here's a thing for those of us to give you a sense of assurance. Now watch this. Revelation chapter three, Christ is addressing some churches. And he's talking about this end of time. Now, somebody, somebody always asks, are you trying to scare us? I'm like, I don't have to. Reality should be scaring enough, right? Are you trying to scare me enough to wear a seatbelt? No, I've seen pictures. I've been, I've been at accident scenes. That, the reality of it scares me. Not anything you can tell me scares me. I've seen it. The, the reality of this should sober us. And you say, hey, may, may, this is a bunch of hogwash. Boy, I, I, I think twice. I'm just saying to you, think twice. Now watch this. Christ is addressing this church. It's a place called Sardis. And he's talking about the book of life, this book of reservations. Watch this. This is where it gets so assuring and encouraging on this side of eternity because no matter if we're Christians or not, we blow it, right? Right? right. Oh, good. Thank you. Because <laughs> I was just, I was thinking I was the only one who blew it there. <laughs> Of course we do, right? We blow it. And then 
then things can come around. Well, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not in today. Maybe I'm, you know, I've blown it so bad that even though I'm a Christian, you know, who knows? Maybe God, sometimes it feels like God's mad at me. You know, my, your emotions, you really do something stupid. You're like, man, God just, if he's like me, he's really ticked off and he, you know, he doesn't like me anymore. And then I'm out, you know, your mind just kind of travels and, and God says, no, that's not truth. Watch this. God says, uh, Christ is saying to this church, they will walk with me dressed in white. It's God's picture for us in this point of protection, this place where God watches over us. It, that picture means that we have been washed by God. That's when God uses dressed in white. Though, though your sins be like scarlet, he will, he will make them as white as snow, be clothed with Christ Jesus. And many pictures throughout the, the New Testament that this is though, those who have been the, uh, saved by Christ in the rescue story. Watch. They walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. Because he's made us worthy, by the way. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. And I will never erase their name. I will never blot their name out of that of that person from the book of life. God writes our name in the book of life with permanent ink and there is no eraser. Thank you. I blew it so bad yesterday, God. You are loved and saved and protected and eternally sealed and God protects you in this place and I love you. There's a difference between salvation and eternity and fellowship with God. There's sometimes that we're, we're, we're off, our, our wills are off the track. And it's like, man, I'm just out of rhythm with God. Yeah, that's what John said in his first letter. Like, your fellowship is going to be off. Your rhythm, your jazz with God is going to be off. However, your name, if you genuinely have been dressed in white, your name is permanently written in the book of life. And that gives us great assurance. Watch, because I serve him because I want to and not because I have to. It is the difference between Christianity and all other religions of the world. You better fill in the blank, do this in order to achieve eternity. Christ says, I've given you eternity, reach out and take it freely. And then you will serve him because you can't stands not to. Big difference. Why do you pour your life out, uh, Steve? Because I am rescued and permanently have a reservation in heaven. And that is a lot better than Outback. You know what I'm talking about? And Outback's a big deal for us and our family. You read this scripture and it says the one who is victorious and you think, oh boy, I'm not feeling all that victorious. Oh, think again. First John five, uh, first John chapter um, five verse four, John says, everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. That's the difference. So let me go back to the Passover story as we end. Those of you that may not know the story of rescue, you may be asking, and I hope you really do ask, how do I find Goshen? How do I find this place of protection where it's light 
And it's not total darkness for eternity. How do I find this place of light for eternity and even light in this this earthly world? How do I get light? And again, the picture of the painting of the Passover is so vivid. You remember God said, here's the rescue plan. Death is going to cover the land, but the place of protection is those who've taken the blood of the Passover lamb and have painted over their address. Not anybody else's address. Watch. Exodus chapter 12, verse 13. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. Not somebody else. Just because you're sitting in a church doesn't mean that gets it for you because you're sitting beside someone who's painted. And so they're talking about families. God refers to this as a temple, a structure, a house, a building. We must paint the blood of Christ over our house. No one can do it for you, and you can't stand beside someone who's painted their house and yours is unpainted with the blood of Christ. You see, too often this whole this whole uh, truth about the blood of Christ is getting watered down. And it's it's something that we just say, God loves you, wants to be part of your family. You can't be a part of the family unless the blood of Christ is painted over your life and you've trusted in the blood of Christ. And this preacher will go to his grave and I will not back off of the truth that this is the only way that we can stand before God. No way. I'm not backing off. Why? Because it is the cure to the cancer of human sin. We must speak of it. We must be vocal. Because it's great news, by the way, that there is a land of Goshen that's protected and reserved. This blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Reserved. I see guys in the gym. I can't figure them out. They go and sit. As if you can go to the gym and sit next to someone who's working out and become buff. You know what I'm talking about? I've tried it. How's it, how's it working for me? Not, not working good, huh? You can't come into the house of the gym and not apply it to yourself and reap the benefit. Try going into a foreign country with someone else's passport and see how well you do. The passport that crosses you over the threshold into heaven is the blood of Jesus Christ and your faith and belief and dependence in it. Period. Period. Is that clear? Peter said it. I love I love this guy, man. I never met him. <laughs> I love him. I love his heart. Why? He doesn't shy away. Watch. Peter says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were rescued, redeemed from your empty way of life that were handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. I ask you a question today as we close. I'm going to be the maitre d' today. Do you have reservations?
We don't talk. We don't take walk-ins. Do you have your reservation? Because watch. Here's the picture I get in my mind. It's the, it's the God of the prodigal son, the father of the prodigal son who waits, anticipates. That's the, that's the core of the story. The, the dad is like, I'm looking at the horizon. Can you picture the book of life in God's hand? Because he stands with pen in hand. With pen in hand. Waiting, waiting. Because there's a line right there. And it's reserved for you. Father, we marvel, God, we marvel. We, it's, it's such a limited human word. Marvel, stunned, astounded, amazed. I, God, we can't think of the right word, honestly. At your capacity to create vastness and be microscopically, uniquely tuned in to every element of creation. Flies, birds, elephants, stars, galaxies, human souls. I wonder who in this room, God, I wonder who in this room is wrestling because as followers of Christ, God, we're we're passionately praying together. For those in the room who can't say yes with absolute assurance, my name is in the reservation book, that I am under the protection of the blood of Jesus Christ. God, I'm wondering if there are those who are wrestling with that today. I'm wondering, God, if they even have given much thought or perhaps just see themselves as a number because this this planet has gotten crowded. I'm wondering, God, if you've expanded their thinking today to know that you count stars and name them and that you know our thoughts and our days before we even live them. I wonder if they've let you in today, God. Father, we pray for those in this room in this most important conversation of our lifetime. The most important decision of our lifetime, God, because it lasts for eternity. So in a, in a real sober moment, as we're praying, I I speak to those who are wrestling, who are open to Christ. And you say, I, I just want it straight up. I want, I want to, I don't want to sugarcoat it. Then you would say to God, God, I'm a sinner. I know my imperfection more than anybody else. And I want to be, I want to be rescued. I want to be saved, God. And I want to be protected. And I trust in Christ sacrifice and his blood right now by an act of faith God I believe it and I genuinely depend on it that's my level of belief I depend on it God for eternal life and I take my life right now God and exchange it for your new one save me save me Jesus 
Father, we, I pray for, for those by faith that would make that simple conversation and an act of faith, of belief, God. And for those of us that follow you, God, thank you for the assurance of the details that you send through science, through creation, God, through, through uh, the way that you have spoken to us in, in details. God, that our name uniquely is reserved in your book of life. Thank you for giving us that assurance. That, and that not only that, God, that it will not be blotted out. We're grateful, God, beyond words. Thank you for who you are. We love you. We love you, God. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.